And the children can head to Children's Church. And I'll ask those of you who remain to pray with me once more for God's blessing over the study of His Word. Would you bow with me again? Let's pray. Father, as we are about to open up the Bible and read the words that you've written there and listen for your voice, I pray that you would speak to us. And I pray that we would be changed. Lord, uh, tune our minds to your frequency this morning and soften our hearts to receive what you have to say. And we recognize that all the power lies in you and your Holy Spirit and what you choose to do through your word this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we are taking a break from Romans this week and next week for Easter, and we'll get back to it. But this Sunday, I struggled mightily with which passage to preach from. And I landed on a passage in 1 Peter. It's 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 17. I know it says 13 up there and in your bulletin, but I changed it last minute to 17. And if you would stand with me as an expression of honor for God's word. We'll read 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 17 through 21. If you address as father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your fathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. We're so grateful that we have God's word to read together this morning. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. This passage is going to be a springboard into some other passages this morning. Um, this is Palm Sunday. Like I said at the beginning, Palm Sunday is a, a tradition. It reminds us of an important event in history when Jesus entered Jerusalem as the ultimate Passover lamb. Now it's important to remember what the Passover lamb signifies. Passover was an annual tradition that the Jews had where they would all... They would go to Jerusalem, they would prepare to celebrate Passover, and for them, they were, they were remembering another historical event, the Passover, the first Passover. It takes us all the way back to Exodus. So, brief history lesson just to get to the context here. History's fun, history's exciting, don't zone out. We love history. It's a historical faith that we have. So, God's people, God's special chosen people, were enslaved in Egypt, for roughly 400 years. That's a long time. 400 years. It's a little less, I think, than, than twice as long as we've been a nation. Now, all you guys know is America as a nation. All the Israelites knew was slavery in Egypt back then. But they had a promise that a Messiah was going to come, that someone was going to come and free them. So they knew it was coming, but 400 years is a long time. And it was back-breaking slavery. They were making bricks. They were trudging around in mud. People were dying. It was a hard lifestyle. But God proved faithful. He sent Moses. He sent ten plagues. 
those miraculous plagues that slapped the faces of all the gods that the Egyptians worshipped. And the tenth plague was the biggest plague. It was the climax of the plagues that was going to, to let God's people go. You remember what that one was? The death of the firstborn. So the angel of death was going to come through Egypt and all the firstborn were going to die. But not Israel's firstborn. God made a plan for Israel's firstborn if the people of Israel would go and they would get an unblemished lamb, a perfect male lamb, and kill it and use its blood to paint over the doorpost of their home. You can picture it right there on that door, painted over blood of a lamb. It's a pretty grotesque image. I want you to picture it, blood over the door. Picture your house, painting blood over your doorpost on the outside. So they did this, and the people huddled in the house, hoping, you know, trusting that God was going to pass over, pass over their homes. And through this event, they were going to be freed from their slavery. Okay? Now, when Jesus entered Jerusalem... What the people didn't understand was he was entering as the ultimate Passover lamb. They didn't understand that he was going to have to die like a Passover lamb. And that his blood was going to be required to save us from slavery. In Exodus, they were saved from physical slavery. Jesus, the ultimate Passover lamb, saves us from spiritual slavery. They didn't understand that. And I want us to try to get our minds in gear to think about that kind of slavery today. Because what Palm Sunday represents is the arrival of the Passover lamb freeing us from slavery to become sons. In that passage we just read about Jesus, it talks about that we're we're sons now. We call God Father because we've been redeemed or bought, purchased to be freed out of slavery. That's what Palm Sunday is all about. From slavery to sons. So we've been freed and now we have to learn how to live as free people. I really have two hopes for this sermon. I'm hoping that if there's anyone in here who has not been freed from your slavery, spiritually speaking, that you would be freed today. And I'm hoping that all of those who have been would learn how to enjoy your freedom more this Easter. Has anyone seen the movie Shawshank Redemption or The Shawshank Redemption? Okay, it's not a movie that I'll ever air here at church unless we get the edited, heavily edited version or something. But one thing that movie does a great job of displaying is convicts, after they've been in prison for life, being released and having to learn how to live on the outside. It's a movie about convicts. And one of them escapes. Well, I think I just ruined the ending. Um, Sorry. One of them does escape. But it shows several convicts who get out, and it shows them trying to figure out how to live on the outside after they've been institutionalized, used to being in captivity. Uh, One of these guys, an older guy, kills himself. He finally got freedom, but he didn't know how to live in freedom. All he knew was his his captivities, his captivity and his captors. And he hung himself. It shows another one, he gets a job at a grocery store, and he always asks for permission to go to the bathroom. And his boss is like, you don't have to ask me for permission. Just go to the bathroom. But he says, I, I cannot go to the bathroom without asking for permission. My whole body is programmed to captivity and slavery. I just, I've, it's been 50 years 
where I've had to ask my jailers for permission. And I don't know how to live as a free man. I think a lot of our struggle as Christians is we still, we're not sure how to live as free men and women. Our freedom that Christ bought for us is terrifying. Because like those Israelites in Egypt, all they've ever known was slavery. All we've ever known as people in this world is slavery. And here Christ comes and he frees us and he, he saves us from slavery. He makes us sons and it's a totally new way of life. And it takes a long time to figure out how to adjust to it. So I went through scripture and I found all these verses about things that we're enslaved to as, as just humanity. I had a long list. And I came into my office this morning and I sliced it in, down to two. Because I know the sermons have been a lot lately. Romans is dense. I know that. And I know it's been a lot of information. So I thought, you know, it's Palm Sunday. I don't have to talk about every single verse in the Bible. I'll talk about two and maybe make it a little bit more easy to digest for you guys. So I don't know if I would even call these sort of the top two things that we're enslaved to as people, but they're two. Fear and sin. This is going to be a simple sermon. We might even get out early. Although every time I say that, we get out 15 minutes late. So it's, It won't be on the PowerPoint, so if you would, flip to Romans 8.15. Romans 8.15. We are born into slavery, just like each new generation of the Israelites was born into Egyptian slavery way back then. And one of our masters is fear. Romans 8.15. My version, the New American Standard Bible says in Romans 8.15, speaking to Christians, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. By whom we cry, Abba, or Daddy, Father. As Christians, you did not receive a spirit of slavery, but a spirit of adoption. You have gone from being slaves of fear to sons and daughters of God. You've probably heard that before, but let it actually sink in. Your identity has changed once you become a Christian. You're not a slave to fear anymore. But you're a son of God. Without the Passover lamb, we remain enslaved to fear. And if fear isn't resonating with you, just replace it with the word anxiety. Because anxiety is a form of fear. And we're plagued by it. And when I say we, I don't just mean humanity. I mean us in here. I mean us up here. We're plagued by it. Our old master, fear, still retains control over us. And why? He doesn't own us anymore. That passage back in Peter says we haven't been redeemed. That word redeemed means purchased. It's like Jesus came to our slave owner and said, I'm buying Matt Broadway from you. He's not yours anymore. And my father's adopting him to be his son. And he paid a dear price. It wasn't 
money or gold or silver. It was his life. We've been purchased. We're not slaves to fear anymore. And yet, we still, we, we can't figure out how to live in freedom. Just like the Israelites kept wanting to go back to Egypt. You read in Exodus, they keep grumbling. They get thirsty and they start grumbling. Oh, we should just go back to Egypt. And you think, why? Why would you want to go back where you were slaves? But spiritually speaking, that's what we do. We go back. I turn back to my old master. And the truth is we don't have to. Anxiety disorders are prominent. I'm talking about diagnosed anxiety disorders that people receive medication for. They're prominent. Some of you in here, that describes you, and you might think you're one of the only ones. There's a lot of folks in this room that are like that. You wouldn't know, not everybody would know it, but I get to see beneath the surface. And we need to realize the truth that anxiety disorder is slavery. And I'm not making a moral judgment about it. I'm just saying what's true. And you know it's true. Those of you who struggle with anxiety, it's, it's enslaving. You can't do what you want to do. You have to obey your master. You can't be who you know you are. You have to obey your master. This hit me hard just last night. I, I work on my sermon preparation all week. I start on Monday. But I never know how that's going to go. It's hard for me to explain. Uh, this sermon, I probably wrote like 13 sermons this week. Because as I get to the end, I'll say, no, and then I'll go this way. And then and I landed here. I hope this is right. Um, but Saturday is like my second to last revision. Usually by Saturday, I have a basic, the basic blob, the basic outline. And Saturday night, things get settled down. I sit down and I start trimming out. I tri- Believe it or not, I trim out like 90% of what I have by Saturday. And then Sunday morning, lots of times, I trim that by like a third or half. Because it's all so good. Man, you, you just want to say it all. Not my sermon. I didn't mean that. I meant this is all so good. <laughs> I mean, my sermons are just so awesome. Like, you know what I meant. I meant God's word is so good. But anyway, Saturday's a big day for me. It's... Um, you know, the tension's mounting. I got to be ready and I, I got to figure out what I'm cutting out, what I'm keeping. And um, it occurred to me an aspect of my fear of man flared up. I've shared this with you guys before, so this is nothing new. You guys know this is a struggle for me. You know, caring way too much about what other people think. Fear of man, just fear of people. And you can't love people when you're afraid of them. And it's not like I cower in fear of anybody, but I'm just so concerned. And yesterday it hit me so hard that I could not focus. And I couldn't even think rationally. I was about to just pick up the phone and and make a call to somebody. It would have made no sense. It would have helped nobody. And Meredith talked me down off the ledge, (laughs) thankfully. And then I start to study and I realize, yes, I'm preaching to myself yet again. Because even yesterday, I go wandering back with my hands ready for the shackles to my old master of fear. when I don't have to. I don't have to worry about these things. I don't have to be anxious about these things. I'm not owned by that anymore. I'm just not. It's just the truth. I'm a son of God now. You guys who have accepted Christ, you're, you're not slaves to fear anymore. 
I'm not here saying don't be slaves. I'm here saying you're not. You might be volunteers to fear, but you're not slaves to it anymore. Christ paid a heavy price to ensure that you're not. For some people, it's not fear of man. Some you guys don't care what <laughs> you guys can care less what people think. But it might be something else. Fear of the unknown, fear of failure, fear of just tomorrow, um, fear of death. Hebrews 2, 14 through 15 says, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, Jesus himself partook of the same, so that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, the devil, and free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. So just think for a minute, is there fear, a certain fear, or even just a vague sense of anxiety that has enslaved you? I actually want you to think about it. Is there a fear and anxiety that you're just enslaved to? Because there's two possibilities. One, you genuinely are a slave to this fear and you'll never be able to escape your slavery until you run to Jesus And accept his price paid on your behalf and you're redeemed, bought from that slave owner, from that master. Maybe you need to come to Christ. Or two, you're a Christian who's wandered back and just voluntarily lives under the authority of your old master of fear. And I don't know which one it is. I want you to think about it. And Christians in here, I want you to picture it, whatever it is. I know what mine is. I want you to picture it. I want you to say in your mind looking that slave owner, that master in the eyes, you don't own me. Actually, let's say it together. When I hit three, we'll say, you don't own me. You say it to your old fear slave master. One, two, three. You don't own me. I'm not convinced. Let's try that again. One, two, three. You don't own me. That's right. You don't own me anymore. I'm a son. I was a slave but now I'm a son or I'm a daughter. Do you guys remember? You probably don't. Maybe you do. Do you guys remember? I think it was the last Father's Day message I had. You know, Don't answer if you remember or not. The last, I think it was the last Father's Day message I had. Maybe it was the one before. I couldn't find it on my computer. But I had gone through the Gospel of John and I had pulled out every place in John where Jesus interacts with his father. God. And then when I had pulled it all out and I looked it over, I remember being shocked at how their relationship looked. Because it didn't look like my relationship with my father. It didn't look like an adult relating to his father. It looked like a child relating to his father. And I was, I was surprised by that. But Jesus relates to his father in a childlike way. Complete dependence. Relying completely on his father for his safety, for his guidance, for everything. And when he came into a room, he said, hey, I'm just here to tell you guys what my dad told me to tell you. I mean, he said it more biblical language than that. But that's basically what he would say. And I think some of us, maybe especially us men in the room, have a misunderstanding. We, you know, as we grow up as men, we want to mature. We want to be almost more peers with our fathers. And we want to be independent and responsible. That's all good stuff. But I think we mistakenly assume that being a Christian man and relating to God as our father 
that we should relate to him as adults, whereas we should relate to our Heavenly Father as his children. That may sound a little far-fetched. I'm not saying that you should, spiritually speaking, be like sucking your thumb and wearing diapers. It's a grotesque image. I'm talking about in the sense that you know, when Jesus was there and the children came up to him and his disciples started trying to get him out of the way and Jesus said, no, don't push him out of the way. It's to people like this that the kingdom of heaven belongs to. It's to the childlike that the kingdom of heaven belongs to. I never really have understood what that means, but I think there's something to this. I think it means it's those who are willing to let God be dad. That verse we read in Romans says, we, we did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. That's like saying, Daddy. That's a childlike way of talking to your father. I think about the, um, the Lord's Prayer as he teaches us how to pray. And first he says, we say, Our Father. But he says, uh, the line, give us this day our daily bread. I feel like that looks like childlike dependence too. Maybe I'm just drawing from my own experience. My two little kids love bread. Uh, we don't have any exciting food at the house. <laughs> we, we don't have like candy and stuff. We just don't keep that around. So honey toast is the big deal at our house. Or now sun butter toast because my son's allergic to peanuts and we just discovered sun butter. It's awesome. Um, so I can just picture Lillian coming up to me and she's pointing to where she knows the bread is and saying, bread please. And it just, it just sounds like that's what Jesus is saying. When you pray, just go to your dad and say, bread please. I think real men are childlike in their faith. And I think it enables us to be more manly and mature and adult in the world. Because otherwise, we're just slaves to our fear. We're not... We're not able to be the men or the women we want to be until we're childlike in our faith. You know, Elias and Lillian should not be as comfortable as they are in the world. Meredith and I talk about this all the time. They, there's no reason for them to be as comfortable as they are out in the world. We could be in Walmart. They don't feel like they need to, to be shy around strangers. I mean, they'll walk up. I think it's part of being a pastor's kid. They're so used to people. I mean, Elias, I'm sure he would just hop into a buggy with somebody and ride off. I mean, he's fine. He's never had any trouble. He's fine. Carefree. Don't you want to be like, I mean, I don't want to be carefree like that. And I think about why are they so carefree. And I think a lot of it has to do with their childlike dependence on me and Meredith. It's so hard for me to just keep going when there's a distraction present, but I will. We'll keep going. I forget my point. No, I don't. I remember my point. They don't they should not be so comfortable in the world, but they are because they have me and they have Meredith to protect them and to watch over them and to give them their daily bread and to take care of everything. It's like that passage in Philippians where Paul says, Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything Pray, and the peace of God, which surpasses your understanding, will guard your heart. And I taught you guys when we went through Philippians, that doesn't mean God's going to hand you 
some peace ointment that you can rub on and feel better. It means that you're going to be looking at your dad and seeing that he is at peace, remembering that he's in control of everything. You don't understand it. It surpasses your understanding. But because he's at peace, you're at peace. The same reason I could sleep like a baby at night in my home when I was a kid. I knew my parents were at peace. I didn't have a thing to worry about. So from slavery to sons means we're freed from slavery to fear. I just want you to catch that. You are a son of God. You are a daughter of God. That's your identity. The world's always trying to put identities on on people. Like the, the way we diagnose things, you think it's your identity. Going back to the anxiety thing. You get diagnosed with like an anxiety disorder. A lot of people just assume that as their identity. I am anxious or I am depressed. Like that's your identity. Or to take it into another realm with, um, we just talked recently about the whole homosexuality debate. I hate the way people say I'm homosexual or I'm not. It's, we, you struggle with same-sex attraction, but it's not your identity. Know, know who you are. You are a son or daughter of God. Okay, I got to go on to the next one. Two of the things we're enslaved to is fear, and the other one is sin. Turn to Romans 6.6. 6. It's close by. I guess we are in Romans today. Romans 6.6. 6. Romans 6.6 6 says, Talking to Christians... Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, with Jesus, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Again, we're born into slavery. We're born enslaved to our sins. We don't, people don't struggle with sin. They obey it. People don't struggle with sin. They obey it. Sin is a master. Sin is a slave driver. Without the Passover lamb, we remain enslaved to sin. So I just went real quick through the so-called seven deadly sins to see if this is true. Lust. Right off the bat, you know that's true. As a culture, we're enslaved to the sin of lust. We lust ourselves to death as a culture. There's pornography everywhere. I can't watch... A, a commercial with my son in the room for fear of what's going to come on. I can't turn on a popular radio station without audio pornography flooding our car. We've stopped even trying as a culture, we've stopped even trying to stop our teenagers from having extramarital sex. We just try to make it as safe as we can. But we recognize that we're enslaved to it. There's no stopping it. We obey it as our master. The more technology we have, the, the more avenues the slave driver of lust has to make people obey. The big thing now with teenagers is texting. How long after texting was invented did sexting get invented? If you guys don't know what that is, Google it and you'll see it's a, it's a huge, huge issue for young people today. Gluttony. We can't stop. It's not, it's not a matter of education. We know all this stuff we're eating is killing us. We can't stop. We're enslaved. Greed. Turn on, turn on the news. And I guarantee the first thing they talk about is money and the trouble we're in because of 
we just consumed ourselves to death as a nation, as families, as people. Laziness. We're slaves to that. Uh, We're entertaining ourselves to death. I've got a very recent example of that that I won't share. So that was not helpful at all (laughs) to you, was it? Uh, I mean, we could pick up a book or we could solve a major problem or we could invent something or we could teach a kid something or we could romance our wives or we could make a plan. But no, we'll play Angry Birds. Some people looked at me and they have no idea. Honestly, I don't even know what Angry Birds is, but I've heard a lot about it. Do you guys know what Angry Birds is? Scott knows. Or Farmville, or Scott doesn't agree with Farmville. Facebook is great, but man, it has a lot of people just enslaved. Blackberries and smartphones are great, but man, they've got a lot of us just enslaved. We wake up and we turn to our master to see what he wants us to do. People are driving and they're looking at their master trying to figure out what it wants him to do, what emails are coming in. I shouldn't share this with you, but we have an idea for a uh, tech-free retreat center where people can go and no technology can touch them. And for even if it's just 30 minutes, no email No phone call, no text, no poke on Facebook can reach them. I would live there. Wrath. Wrath's a tough one. Most people in here probably don't feel like they're wrathful. But I think an expression of wrath is bitterness and unforgiveness. It's a way of expressing wrath toward people. How many of us in this room are enslaved to something, maybe something real that someone did to us that we cannot let go. And we're enslaved to it. Envy, pride. I want you to think about what sin is exerting control over your life because the fact of the matter is you're not a slave to that anymore. I'm not here saying escape, don't be a slave. I'm saying you're not a slave. You don't have to. Jesus paid a heavy price to free us from all this. So again, there's two types of people. There are people hopelessly enslaved to sin who have not been redeemed by Jesus Christ, who need to turn to him this morning. And there are those who have been redeemed but have gone back to their old master, willingly, voluntarily serving sin. So picture it. What is it? What is it that has a grip on you? Picture it. And say with me, you don't own me. I'll count it down again. One, two, three. You don't own me. You don't own me. Sin doesn't own you. Fear doesn't own you. You're sons and daughters of God. I have one verse I'll read. Galatians 5.1, kind of in conclusion. Paul says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. We are freed from fear and sin and death and our passions and our lusts and all the things that we used to have to serve. We don't have to anymore. 
And if ever there's a time of year to take shelter under the blood of the Lamb that was paid for our freedom, is this. It's Easter. If ever there was a time of the year to remember who we are in Christ, is now, in Easter. Be freed this Easter. Enjoy freedom this Easter. Let's pray. Father, I confess to you on behalf of everyone here that in Christ... We are freed, free from fear, free from sin. We don't have to serve those masters. And I pray that you would help us to live freely now. Help us to learn how to live freely. Help us to forget that old obligation to be afraid and to trust like children, our God, our Father who loves us. Lord, may we be a vibrant, joyful people living in the fullness of their freedom through Jesus Christ this Easter. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.